The scripture this morning is from First John verses, First uh, John four verses seven through twelve. It says, "Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love." God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if We love each other. God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Thank you, James. And thank you. I think we made a beautiful noise together this morning. I don't know where it was like where you were sitting, but when you're sitting near the front and you can kind of hear everybody singing behind you, it really is a a pretty incredible thing. And so thank you for that. Beautiful noise. Isn't that a Neil Diamond song? Any Neil Diamond fans? I don't know. Is it? I, I digress very quickly. Uh, my mind wanders. But. See, one of the things that, uh, about Christmas that I've always found somewhat intriguing is that you know, we understand the general spirit of Christmas is that it is about peace and joy and goodwill toward men. But in a strange, perhaps even ironic twist, that isn't often our experience, is it? Been to the mall lately? Even the parking lot is a good example that peace and goodwill toward men doesn't always exist, right? Or the crowds in the store jostling over that one last great deal. The reality of Christmas is that it is often a very difficult and stressful time for many people. There's so much to do, so little time, and so we experience this pressure of time. And let's not forget the the financial strain that Christmas can put on us. Or, Or maybe we feel alone at Christmas when everyone else seems to have family and friends close by. Maybe it's even the first Christmas after a devastating separation and divorce. Christmas also seems to always resurface the grief of losing a loved one. And then, of course, Christmas often causes us to confront the reality of relational conflict and the resulting family tensions. All of this can undermine the Christmas spirit. Things happen in the life of families, of relationships in general, that can be difficult. Words get said. Emotions get strained. Feelings get hurt. Expectations do not get met. Blame gets assigned, leaving painful wounds that seem never to properly heal. It happens. Life happens. And if we're not careful, relationships in our families that were meant to be beautiful can be bruised. And that can lead to a brokenness 
at times that creates a separation that can seem difficult to bridge back to health and to wholeness. This Christmas season, during these weeks of Advent, we have been looking at the gifts of Christmas. So far, we've looked at the gift of expectancy and the gift of grace. Today, we're going to consider the gift of reconciliation. Ultimately, Christmas is God initiating reconciliation with humanity. And so this message is about two things. One is being reconciled to God, and the other is being reconciled to others. But first, being reconciled to God. A key passage when considering reconciliation to God is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21, where we read this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you, he writes, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation means change or exchange. And the idea is of a change of relationship, an exchange of hostility and conflict for goodwill or animosity for friendship. And when reconciled, attitudes are transformed and hostility ceases. Reconciliation is the bringing together of two parties that are estranged or in conflict. And the relationship is then said to be restored and made right. It is reconciled. And God builds a relational bridge. That's one of the beautiful parts of Christmas, is that God began building this relational bridge back to our world. Why? Because man's sin has caused a separation an estrangement in the relationship. In fact, the Bible is very blunt about it. It just says that sinners are, in fact, enemies of God. Like, enemies is not just kind of like a step down from a friend. These are two different camps. These are two groups that are in hostility at war with each other. And the relationship that God the Father longed to have with the world he created was in horrible shape, and it was in need of rescue. This was, there was this huge chasm that separated humanity from God. And man was on one side, lost and helpless and hopeless. And it was man's sin that caused this separation. And sin needed to be dealt with. So God had a plan. He would become one of us. He stepped out of his world, out of heaven, and came to our world. And this baby would be called Jesus because his purpose was clear. He would save his people from their sins. Not by being a a cute little baby born to a virgin, but by ultimately living a sinless life and then dying as a once and for all perfect sacrifice for sin. Instead of waiting on the world to change, God took the initiative to love and to make things right with the world. God, he he came to us. 
God knew that if things were going to be made right with him, he had to make the first move. He had to give the first gift. He had to be the one to make things right. Even though he was not to blame. And so he did. God the Father made the first move to reconcile our broken relationship with him and bridge this chasm for a new and fresh start. God in essence, reached out to us. And in doing so, he demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to us and to die ultimately for us. And so Christmas is about love coming to us. The Apostle Paul, writing in Romans 5, 8, put it this way, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin and he bridged this gap between God and people. The cross that Jesus died on, it it, it in essence formed a bridge to, to, to cross this chasm. First Timothy write, or Timothy writes in First Timothy chapter two and verse five, or Paul writing to Timothy, excuse me, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ becomes this relational bridge, this mediator between God and man that had been separated because of sin. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And you say, well, you know, Christmas, isn't it about the birth of Christ? Like, why are we talking about the death of Christ? Well, The birth of Christ is only properly understood in the context of his death. Why did he ultimately come? And Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he made a way for us as humanity that was separated from God to be reconciled to God. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. And ultimately, he demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross for us. It was the greatest demonstration of love ever. Jesus laid down his life for us. And then he says to us, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. So God wants to have a relationship with us, with you. But it requires that we're reconciled to God. It's a theme throughout the the, the Bible. And, and so how are we reconciled to God? Because here's the issue. Many people will then try to bridge this separation between God and humanity on their own. Some will say, well, you know what? I'm just going to clean up my life and I'm going to be a, a morally good person. And you ask them, how will they know that they will spend eternity in heaven? And they might say, well, because I'm a good person. I never do anything wrong. Others might say, well, because they go to church. And some might say, because I give time and money to worthy causes. Still others might even say, well, because I've been baptized. Ultimately, if those are all human efforts, they fail. So what do we need to do to be reconciled to God? And we could phrase this in many, many different ways, but I'm going to give you three words this morning. Ones that I think will be easy enough for us to remember. Here's the three words, and then we'll go through them. Sorry. Thanks. 
and please. First is sorry. Saying sorry is just admitting our sin. Uh, Paul writing to the Romans makes it clear, for all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the standard that God set for us. And so when we say sorry, it simply means that we're going to turn from the things that we know are wrong. It's called repentance. It's a, it's a turning. It's a changing. And remember how I defined reconciliation early on as a change or an exchange. So this is part of this act of reconciliation is we say we're sorry and we change. We start the process to go back. Secondly, thanks. Saying thanks is believing that Jesus died on the cross for us. For the wages of sin is death, Romans says, 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is a gift. It's a gift of eternal life that God offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this is a gift then that we have to receive with thanks. Because when we think about what Jesus did and what that ultimately accomplished, we have forgiveness, we have freedom from sin, we're made right with God. We're restored back to the relationship that God intended for us to originally have. And so we say thanks. And thirdly, we say please. Saying please is essentially choosing to invite Jesus through the Holy Spirit to be our leader. This is when we, by faith, when we receive this gift of grace and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. John 1, verse 12, that we've looked at a couple of times already this fall. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, when we are made right with God, when we are reconciled with God, we are clearly his children. He is our father. And we come again to a deep and new appreciation for the fact that he loves us no matter what. There's a wonderful promise in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 that goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified, or again, made right through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled with God. And so the effect of this reconciliation is peace. We're at peace with God. But there's another aspect to this piece of reconciliation that we need to think about this morning, is that we must also be reconciled to others. Perhaps this is the harder one for us to fully appreciate and experience at times. In the passage that James read for us earlier, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12, we really discover in there that love is the central theme of all relationships. We read there in verse 12, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, since God loved us that much, how did he love us? He gave his life for us. We surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. You see, God's love is ultimately brought to full expressions, or some translation use, his love is perfected in us. A perfected love is a love that is in right relationships with others, especially in a right relationship with our families. 
And because God makes himself known as our Heavenly Father, that perfected love certainly means that we find ourselves in a growing and right relationship with him, our Father in Heaven, who loved us completely and gave the gift of his Son that we would make a way, that would ultimately make a way for all things then to be made right in our relationships. So when we're right with God, he's actually made a way for us to be right with others as well. Now to love one, or sorry, to not love one another is simply disobedience. And in reality, when you think of, the, of, of how um, it was uh, in, in, in uh, how John put it in, in the verses that James read, it is in, in a sense a rejection of the Father's own love for us. But if we abide in the Father's love, we will be without fear and we will be free to love as the Father loves, offering forgiveness and seeking to be reconciled in all relationships. Later on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, John writes, We love because he loved us first. Right? It's really straightforward. Because God loved us, we then love others. Christmas is love coming down and making a way for all relationships to be made right. This Christmas could be about relationships that have lingering wounds being healed and made whole. It probably won't happen all at once. But what if a step was taken? And that step led to a second step and maybe a third step. Perhaps all God desires to happen this Christmas is for someone to take the initiative in your family and make the first move offering the gift of love. So how can we be reconciled with others? Now this is where it probably gets really difficult because it's hard for us to admit that we're wrong at times, maybe most of the time. And we're just not very good at this. Uh, case in point, there was once a couple who had been married for 60 years. And throughout their life, they had shared everything. And they loved each other deeply. They had not kept any secrets for one another, except for a, a small shoebox that the wife kept in the top shelf of her closet. And when they first got married, she put the box there and asked her husband never, ever to look inside of it and never to ask questions about its contents. And, and so for 60 years, this went on, and the man absolutely honored his wife's request. In fact, he forgot about the box until a day when his wife grew gravely ill and the doctors were sure she had no way of recovering. And so the man... He's putting his wife's affairs in order. He, he remembers this box in the top of her closet and he gets it down and he brings it to her at the hospital and he asks her if perhaps now they might be able to open it. And she agrees. They opened the box and inside were just two small crocheted dolls and a roll of money that totaled $95,000. The man was completely astonished. And so the woman told her husband that the day before they were married, her grandmother told her that if she and her husband were ever to get in an argument with one another, that they should absolutely work to reconcile it. 
But if they were unable to reconcile it, she should simply keep her mouth shut shut, and just crochet a doll. Well, the man was touched by this because there were only two crocheted dolls in the box. He was amazed that over 60 years of marriage, they apparently had had only two conversations that they were unable to reconcile. Tears come to his eyes and he grew even more deeply in love with this woman. And then he asked her about the role of money. What's with this, he asked. And the wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I sold it to a craft fair for $5. (laughs) You knew that was coming, right? I mean, that was written all over it. And now some of you are doing the math thinking, wow, that's a lot of dolls. They're not very good at it, right? And as humorous as that story is, I'm afraid sometimes that's kind of how we deal with it. We'll just stuff it in a box somewhere, keep our mouths shut. And so I wouldn't exactly recommend that. What I would recommend, however, is a website that I've referred to in the past in speaking on this issue of conflict and reconciliation of Metanoia Ministries. It's just www.restoringthechurch.org and specifically going to resources and then under that there's uh, conflict worksheets. In fact, I made a few copies there on the back table there that you can help yourself to, but these you can just go online and download and print them and work through them because I think that they might be extremely helpful in helping you be reconciled to others. But let me give you a brief summary of some of what you'll find there. There are at least four kind of broad steps on the road, on the pathway to peace and to reconciliation that we need to take when we want to be reconciled to someone that we're estranged from. And the first starts with this, examine. So what were the first three words? Anybody want to say them back to me? Reconciled to God. We say sorry. We say thanks. And we say please. Now I'm going to give you four more. We examine. Personal examination. And this is where we examine our thoughts and feelings and actions to discover how we might be wrong. To accept how we might be part of the problem. Where this comes from, because you're thinking, well, the problem is theirs. They caused the estrangement. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and in one of these very humorous ways that Jesus often taught. And he says, well, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye and ignoring the log in your own? And the reality is, whether we like to admit it or not, we have logs which we typically ignore so that we can look at the speck in somebody else's life. And basically, by starting with examining ourselves, we're saying, hey, let's get the log out of our own eye first, because that is important. But the problem, as you probably all are aware, is pride. And it's our pride that doesn't let us see that log. And so, one counselor suggests trying this, that you get a piece of paper and you draw a circle on it, And this circle is a pie that represents all of the chaos in the relationship. And so 100% of the blame is in that piece, in that pie, because that's where all of this chaos is. And so then now, draw a little slice of pie that you think represents your responsibility for the chaos. It's not very big, is it? That's okay. But that's where we need to start. The problem is, 
we have such a hard time staying focused on that little piece of pie because we want to start looking at the rest of the pie and blaming everybody else. And if they wouldn't do this, then this wouldn't have happened, and et cetera, et cetera. But look at your piece of the pie. And so here's what I want you to do this week. As you think about maybe an existing conflict or as you maybe experience some relational conflict at work or at home with your friends, with family, whatever, any conflict any of any sort, big or small, just stop and think about your own slice of the pie. Ask yourself, what is my slice of the pie? Have I taken responsibility for my life or am I enjoying the blame game so much that it has allowed me to ignore what I'm ultimately responsible for? And so part of this examining can just daily begin by just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal that sin in our lives and admitting it and knowing that he forgives us and he loves us no matter what. It's a new start every day. But when the Holy Spirit does reveal sin, we have a choice. And I've labeled these in my notes 2A and 2B because they're kind of the same. So 2A is confess. So first we examine and then we confess. So we go and confess. This is where we come clean. It's, it's self-disclosure time. We disclose sin by speaking openly and honestly to God, maybe to the offended person, sometimes even to a group of brothers of sisters who can help us make restitution and restoration. And it's just simply where we now act on the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We've been examining ourselves. We're asking the Holy Spirit to show us. He shows us something. We're like, oh, I forgot about that. I need to go and make things Right. Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, the psalmist writes, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, wherever there's sin, there's forgiveness, there's grace. And Jesus makes it clear that we are then to go quickly and directly to the person to confess sin without qualification or condition. This is not now the place to say, okay, I'm going to confess something and I'm going to say I'm sorry, but I'm really sorry that you're such an idiot. It doesn't work that way. Or jerk, fill in your word, I don't know. But this is about accepting responsibility for how our words and our actions have hurt the other person and how they've damaged the relationship. Remember these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24? So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, you're coming to worship, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, okay? You remember, you know, I hurt something and they're probably offended by that or they have something against me. Jesus says, just leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Just leave it. And he says, go and be reconciled to that person. Go and be made right. And once you've been made right, then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. So when you go to the offended person, now it's up to the offended person who decides. They have a choice, right? They, they forgive, and you're reconciled, and it's made right, and there's more to it than that, but I'm just trying to simplify it. Or maybe in some cases they refuse, and the estrangement continues. That's a tough place to be. And you keep having to work through it. 
And by saying all of this, please hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to minimize or make light or make this sound simple or easy because I realize relationships are way more complex than this. But I do think that if we start, let's look at ourselves and then let's acknowledge our part. You know how this works, right? You often... I had a great illustration here of how Tina really wronged me one time. And then she comes to me this morning and says, you're not going to share a personal illustration, are you? And I said, of course not. Actually, no. I didn't have a good illustration. I was being honest with her. Now I dragged her into this. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to have to go home and say, honey, I'm sorry for dragging you into that message. Will you please forgive me? Sometimes it is that simple, right? Other times it's not. So please, I know that this isn't easy and some issues are way, way deeper than that. But let's start there. Examine, confess. And once we've confessed our part, there's a place where we can go and confront. And and that's hard too, right? But it's just where we go and show, where we take this step where we lovingly then confront another person's sin, first privately, and if it just remains unresolved, you bring witnesses into it. There's a place for this. Matthew 18 has a wonderful outline of all of this. Matthew 5, verse 15 makes this clear. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. You've won them back. You've been made right. You've been reconciled. So we examine, and then we confess and we confront 2A, 2B. And then lastly, we forgive, and we're forgiven. We forgive those who have wronged or hurt us. We forgive without condition. Because that is the good news. God forgave us. And so we, in turn, forgive others. We have no other choice. Matthew 18, again, continuing on in verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Thought he was being generous. No, not seven times, Jesus replied. But 70 times seven. Or 77 times. It's not quite clear, but point is, it doesn't really matter what the number is. He was exaggerating that really in the end, there's no limit to our forgiveness. As Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 writes, love keeps no record of wrongs. And just one more quick thought on this. What happens if you do this and the person just refuses to be reconciled? Paul, in writing to the Romans, was wonderfully practically when he insisted If it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here again, we see a command, right? Live at peace with everyone, and it requires obedience but it's not a harsh or unreasonable or even insensitive command. Perhaps aware of some of his own problems with difficult people in tough situations, Paul kind of mellows his instructions with the words, well, if it is possible. 
Because let's face it, we, we, we can't live at peace with someone who insists on declaring war on us. It takes two to reconcile. And so with great sensitivity, Paul adds, as far as it depends on you. The apostle does not lay on us this impossible burden of living in a state of peace and reconciliation with everyone in, a, in, a, in an often hostile world. But he does lay on us the requirement to do what is necessary from our side of the problem. And so can I just ask you a couple of questions this morning in closing? Do you want to be reconciled to someone today? Then go. Take the initiative. Do some homework. Download those worksheets that I mentioned earlier. And go. It might absolutely be the best Christmas gift that you give to yourself and to the other person. Because it is the gift of reconciliation. The gift of making things right. And starting fresh. And do you want to be reconciled to God today? Then I say come. Come to him today. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me so you can stand. And, and if this is something that you've been putting off, you, you've heard this message before. You've heard that God wants to have a relationship with you and he loves you no matter what. But he wants you to come to him and to say sorry to say thanks, to say please. And so you can pray this along as I pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I've done in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and for my sins so that I could be forgiven, set free, and be made right with you. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. In Jesus' name.